Let's start tonight in Florida, where Hurricane Ian, we've been talking about it all week. It made landfall near Cayo Costa this afternoon as a massive Category 4 storm with maximum sustained winds of 241 kilometers an hour. 241. Reports saying it is the fifth strongest hurricane ever to make landfall in the continental U.S. Here is the sound of it pounding Fort Myers earlier today. You can hear those winds, but it's the storm surges, the water that's been causing all kinds of damage and destruction in southwest Florida, and it continues to get hammered tonight. There are more than a million people in the dark. A coastal sheriff's office reported that it was already getting a number of phone calls from people trapped in their homes tonight. Lived in Naples for nearly 30 years. That house halfway underwater, there goes my car floating away. Inland flooding, the deadliest component of hurricanes for the past 30 years. Hospitals in the area prepared for the worst. Several now on lockdown, their doors shut to protect patients and staff until the storm passes. Backup generators on hand to continue vital services with the power out. Now, officials in Lee County, which is home to Fort Myers, say communities there are decimated. The commissioner, Kevin Wren, uh, says the area got hit with nearly five meter storm surges. You know, I've gotten multiple reports of um, some hotels that are gone, um, houses that uh, people are in their attics uh, with water that high. Now, the southwest corner of the state, if you're looking at a map, of course, you know, there's the Atlantic side and the Gulf side. This is the Gulf side. Tampa's about in the middle. Fort Myers is about halfway down from there. That's where uh, Ian came ashore today. Officials warned it'll be some time before first responders can make rescue tonight. Well, joining me now is Ryan Chuchelet. He's president and chief meteorologist with Weather Tiger in the Florida capital, Tallahassee, and has spent a long time watching and studying hurricanes in Florida. Where better to do it? Thanks for your time tonight, Ryan. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. It's been a long day in the state, but, uh, you know, I'm, I at least live in a part of Florida that wasn't directly impacted by, uh, by Hurricane Ian. This has been, I mean, you've been watching these things for years. I know you started this company with your wife and you have all this expertise and you've been watching hurricanes in Florida for a long time. Tell me about Ian, because it, it just looks like such a monster and it came ashore in a place where we don't often see hurricanes come ashore in Florida. Right. It, it is an, a rather unusual landfall location, especially for a hurricane of this intensity, which is a, a Category 4 hurricane on the Saffir-Simpson hurricane wind scale. And just shy of being the highest uh, classification of a Category 5, um, there's really only one other hurricane in the modern era that's anything that's followed a track and had an intensity like this one. And that was Hurricane Charlie in 2004. Um, so this actually, oddly enough, this made landfall at the exact same place and uh, with the exact same intensity as Hurricane Charlie did 18 years ago. Just in Fort Myers in that area. Uh, just seeing the storm surges, though, I mean, it was the, the amount of destruction that this is causing um, seems, I mean, it's, at this point, I guess it's nightfall. We won't really know the full extent until tomorrow, but some of those images today were just devastating. Absolutely. I mean, surge is the number one threat from a landfalling hurricane. Uh, you know, people kind of have this idea in their heads of a hurricane being a windstorm. And it's certainly, of course, that is a major hazard uh, from hurricanes. But, you you know, the advice that meteorologists give is you can you can hide from wind, but you need to run from water. You can't 
you can't hide from water. It's going to if it's going to find you when the waters rise. Um, and there has been a lot of uh, relatively recent development in southwest Florida, low lying areas that have been uh, developed in the last 20 years. People moving down to southwest Florida who don't have a lot of experience with uh, hurricanes. And, you know, we, we don't know the full extent of what's happened in Fort Myers and Cape Coral and a lot of those other larger cities in southwest Florida right now. I think there will be more clarity on the situation tomorrow. But, you know, certainly I've I've seen over the course of the day some some very, very alarming uh, images of houses being lifted off their foundations and carried away by floodwaters, uh, surge waters. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm hoping for the best, but I've seen some things that are that are pretty frightening. Yeah, that's an area that's very popular with Canadians, needless to say, of course, uh, not not as much recently because of COVID, but uh, but a very popular area. Tell me a bit about the topography there and why it, it would be in, in harm's way in such a way that we would see such destruction. I mean, it looked like it was just a clean hit when it came to the storm surges coming in. And, and a lot of that, a lot of the development down there would be unprotected from that. Right. And, you know, this section of the Gulf of Mexico coastline is very vulnerable to storm surge because the continental shelf actually extends several hundred kilometers uh, west of the Florida Gulf Coast out into the Gulf of Mexico. So a hurricane like Ian, it reached Category 3 hurricane intensity shortly before reaching Cuba, rapidly reattained Category 3 intensity after crossing western Cuba. Um, And it also expanded dramatically uh, overnight last night into this morning. So the huge wind field uh, with all those winds out of the south pushing a large wall of water out ahead of the storm uh, on the the eastern side of the storm, pushing it towards land, gets up on those uh, shallow continental shelf waters, and it really has nowhere to go. Uh, And if you also look at the kind of the symmetry specifically of these harbors, Charlotte Harbor, where Hurricane Ian made landfall, and then also the Fort Myers area, there's a lot of these kind of triangular or lens-shaped bays and inlets. And again, those act of focus on rushing water uh, with those onshore winds that are pushing the water up into the bays and rivers and estuaries. And the water simply doesn't have anywhere to go up other than up on into developed areas. I, I know often, you know, uh, forewarned is, is, is forearmed to some extent. In this case, were the forecasts accurate and, and were people given enough time to get out? I mean, I, I gather some people didn't, they didn't have to, but uh, I imagine a lot of people did, did run as you, ex- as you explained. Yes, uh, and I know I know many did. Um, Hurricane Ian was a very challenging forecast, uh, and it required all the expertise that the that the forecasters, the world's best forecasters at the National Hurricane Center, could bring to bear uh, on it. And you know, the Fort Myers area, the Port Charlotte Charlotte Harbor area where this came in, they were consistently within what's called the cone of uncertainty, which is uh, kind of a circle. So the National Hurricane Center makes forecasts for you know, where they think the storm is going to be and how strong it's going to be going out to five days. And then they draw a circle around each of those points that uh, the size of that circle is determined by the average error. How, uh, how wrong are, are the forecasts usually over the last five hurricane seasons on average? And the idea is basically that um, the center of the hurricane will track within that forecast cone about two thirds of the time. Now, of course, uh, the impacts and hazards of a hurricane extend far beyond the cone, and they certainly are in this case. Uh, but, you know, Fort Myers and, and Port Charlotte were consistently in the cone. The forecast did move, you know, back and forth a little bit, but they were cons- these areas that the landfall occurred today were consistently within the areas where 
you know, if you're in the cone, you need to be taking preparations. So um, I think the forecasts were absolutely as good as they could be for kind of a very difficult forecast scenario where a lot of our computer guidance models were just in complete disagreement with each other, even up to a couple days before the storm got to Florida. Yeah, that would be tough. I mean, we read so much in the past few days about Tampa St. Pete being the area that was going to be hit, but it, it didn't. I mean, it, it hasn't so far. I, I guess the storm is still there and still sitting and moving slowly. It is. Uh, so Ian is still a hurricane this evening, uh, still a category two, I believe at last check. Uh, it's moving kind of northeast, east, northeast across the Florida peninsula, but it's moving away from Tampa. And crucially for Tampa, their winds remained offshore for the entirety of the storm. So Tampa, St. Petersburg, they got wind gusts of 75, 80, 85 miles an hour. They've gotten very heavy rainfall. Uh, Five to 10 inches of rain has fallen there. And I know there's some flash flooding, um, freshwater flooding issues with that. But what they did not see was storm surge. They did not see water pile up into Tampa Bay. In fact, quite the opposite. Those offshore strong winds actually pushed the water out of Tampa Bay and uh, revealed a lot of land that's not usually uh, accessible uh, today. So um, Tampa, Tampa lucked out. Uh, I think they got off uh, with, with, with some luck. Uh, it really is a wor- the worst case scenario for the storm would have been a track over or just west of Tampa Bay uh, that would have, uh, with those southeasterly winds pushing water up into Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay is like a cul-de-sac. There's nowhere for that water to go, and there's a very heavy population density in some extremely low-lying areas. So Tampa dodged a bullet. Uh, They're still getting some wind and rain overnight tonight, but uh, they will not see uh, anywhere near as bad an outcome as was on the table a couple days ago. Yeah, maybe a silver lining in all this. I'm speaking with Ryan Trishelet. He's president and chief meteorologist of Weather Tiger in Tallahassee. He's speaking to us tonight from the Florida Capitol. Uh, when we come back, just what's next for Ian? Where is it going tonight? Where will it be tomorrow? Uh, stay with us. I don't know if you're watching the images of Hurricane Ian and the devastation that it's created in southwest Florida tonight. We're talking about that with Ryan Trishelet. He's the president and chief meteorologist with Weather Tiger in Tallahassee, Florida. Um, so, Ryan, where is this storm headed next? I imagine it's going to lose lose force, but it still packs a bit of a punch as it's going to move across Florida. Right. So currently it's located inland uh, about 80 miles south of Orlando, and it's moving northeast, still a Category 2 hurricane, packing wind gusts of around 100 miles per hour, or 160 kilometers an hour, sorry, uh, and uh, it's going to be actually emerging back into the Atlantic Ocean probably sometime tomorrow after completing its transit of the Florida Peninsula. So still another 12, 18 hours of some pretty heavy rain and some gusty wind impacts uh, for central Florida, the Orlando area. And then this is all going to move out into the Atlantic, and likely it's going to kind of curve back to the north and then maybe back even to the north-northwest, potentially making a second landfall somewhere in South Carolina or North Carolina by the end of the day on Friday or into early Saturday, potentially even as a hurricane again. Uh, it wouldn't be a Category 4. It would probably be um, probably a Category 1 if that occurred. But um, this, it doesn't, it's not going down easily. It's, uh, it's going down swinging and making problems for uh, a broad swath of the southeastern United States, to be sure. Yeah, and after hitting Cuba, it's taken quite the journey too, sort of a, a windy journey uh, up up and around. It's been a, it's been a relatively this is just from afar, but it feels like it's been a relatively quiet hurricane season where you are. 
Yes, it actually, uh, it's, it's been a very unusually, it was an unusually quiet first third of the hurricane season. No tropical storms or hurricanes developed in the month of August, which has uh, only happened twice in the past 75 years, so most recently in 1997. And there was a real surprise because uh, currently we have a La Nina, cooler waters than average ongoing in the equatorial central and eastern Pacific. And those La Nina years, they tend to be more favorable for hurricane development in the Atlantic Ocean and a little bit less favorable for um, typhoon development in the western Pacific and hurricane development in the eastern Pacific. So it was a real surprise that August uh, just drew a complete blank. But the month of September, which is the most active uh, month of the Atlantic hurricane season, and in fact, about 50 percent of all historical activity, uh, historical hurricane activity happens just in the month of September. Uh, so September is the peak of the season, and this September has uh, made up for some lost time. It's actually been about 60% more active than an average uh, September. So busy September, likely going to be a, a busier than average October as well, um, just because La Nina years tend to uh, have a kind of extended tail of tropical activity in the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea, Western Atlantic into, uh, into, into October. I have about 90 seconds, uh, Ryan. We learned something, I imagine, from every one of, every one of these. I know it's early, but what, what has Ian taught us? Well, I, I think that we're going to have to take a very close look at uh, building practices and the environmental impacts of the lands that we're choosing to build our properties on. You know, what is, what is the actual you know, flood rate for some of these places? You know, we have, we have an estimate that's you know, based on a, a stationary climate. It's based on a climate that, you know, isn't changing. Well, we know our climate is changing. So if you have a, a flood risk of, you know, if you're in a one in 100 year floodplain, well, are you truly in a 100 year floodplain or are you in a 30 year floodplain or a 20 or a 15 year floodplain? Um, you know, I think we, I think we need to go back to the drawing board and have some tough conversations about uh, where, you know, where we're developing and uh, where we're, we're building uh, some some housing units that are pretty close to the water. And uh, I, I don't know how they did today. We'll have to find out. Ryan Trishalit, thank you so much for your time tonight. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me.